Well, good morning. It's nice. Thanks. That meant a lot. Uh, so uh, it is great to be um, with you today. Today's going to be a great day as we conclude our Hero Maker series. Um, in a minute, I'm going to invite a friend up, one of our missionaries to, uh, that we support to Guatemala, Mark Schmidt, my good friend. And so I'm really excited for you to meet Mark because Mark and I have been running, living life together for almost nine years now. Um, and uh, we just met at a gas station randomly in Guatemala. Seriously, kind of that's how we met. And uh, ever since, <clears throat> God's knitted our lives together in a really special way. So you get to meet him here in a minute. But we've been in our Hero Maker series, Five Essential Practices of, of what does it mean to, to, to give my life an investment to see others thrive and move forward in their faith. And just maybe as a way, maybe just to boil it down in a simple way, what, what will it take for us to overcome these puny dreams of being the hero of our own story and go after a much larger dream of setting others up to succeed and having a cascading, right, cascading impact with our life, a wake of our life where many, 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 many people are set up to do great and mighty and wonderful things for God because they interacted with us and when they interacted with us, they interacted with God. And so five essential practices. Let's do a little review today. So by review, first we talked about multiplicational thinking, investing my life in others to maximize my impact for God's glory. Second, we talked about permission giving, speaking truth into others to help them, to help them act upon their faith. Third, disciple multiplying, committing my life to multiplying my faith in others. And then fourth, gift activating last week, maximizing my giftings to be used fully for the purposes of God. Remember, we talked about this in gift activating, that I'm, a, I'm either, all of us are activated and activators, right? The activated, meaning that, that someone comes, speaks truth, we move into it, and then we also get to speak truth into others. And then fifth, today, kingdom building, giving my life to seeing the long-term fulfillment of God's great mission multiplied through my investment in others. And that's today what we're going to be talking about. And so this morning, we're going to be reading from Matthew 6, 33. And so if you have a Bible, if you turn there underneath your seat, there's a Bible. If you don't have one, it'll also be on the screens. Matthew 6, 33 is the verse that we're going to focus on this morning as we conclude um, our time in this series. So if you will, this morning, stand with me in reverence and honor of reading God's word, Matthew 6, 33, and I'll read as you listen. It says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Father, would you help us today to see how profound these words are. Jesus, help us today to take you very, very seriously at your word and help us to seek first that which ought to be sought first and help us to trust you in every way and shape that we possibly can with our lives. So Jesus, speak to us today. We trust in you. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So I do, I want to intervite, intervite, inter something, I don't talk much. Uh, I want to invite Mark to come up. Um, let's welcome Mark Schmidt. Come on up, man. Um, 
Mark, maybe what we could do, this is going to be, we know each other really well, and so I don't know what I'm going to say, because it's dangerous when I know people well, and we've, most of our relationship has been very late nights talking around campfires and such, and so um, introduce yourself. I know not everyone knows you here. Um, tell a little bit about your family. We've been supporting you for like five years, I think. Yeah, so. Well, good morning, Chapel. Um, that was great. <laughs> They're very nice people. They are. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I already knew that um, just from the experience that we've had down in Guatemala with people that you guys have, have sent our way. Um, first of all, I wanted to say thank you. What an honor and privilege it is for me to be able to sit here next to Ryan um, on stage at the chapel. And on behalf of all of my friends and family in Guatemala, in Buena Vista, to say thank you to you guys. Um, and to tell you personally that this story that, that we're getting to live together is not, it's not my story, it's not uh, the Schmidt family's story, it's God's story, but we in the chapel have been called to live it together. And God is alive, uh, the gospel is alive in Buena Vista, and you guys have a massive, massive role in the kingdom advancing against the gates of hell in Buena Vista. And so thank you for your support of our family. Thank you for your prayers, for your love. Thank you for the invite to be able to be here and share our story. My name's Mark, like Ryan said. My wife, Gina, uh, couldn't make the trip. She's, she's in Guatemala with our youngest of five children, a little Cruz, who is about to be eight years old. I have my son, Eli, with us. He's hanging out here with some of the teenagers. Um, he's number four in line. And then we have three older children who are 21, 20, and, and I don't even know anymore, um, 18, two are married, starting their adult life, um, and one of them studying nursing in college, um, and so we make up the Schmidt clan and um, enjoying life You're together. You're going to be a grandpa. In December 20th, we have our first grandbaby. I know it's shocking because I look like I'm 25, right? Yeah. Um, we have our first grandbaby, You've had little a very girl. Stressful little, yes, years, very bro. stressful twenty-five years. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's gonna—it's a whole new phase of life for us. So we're we're pretty excited about what God's got there. Yeah. Um, well, so when Mark and I met, um, we literally it was a, the church I was serving at the time. There was a, a acquaintance of his that he went to college with, and she knew that I went to Guatemala, and she said, "Hey, you should meet this guy I went to school with." And I was driving down to plan for a trip, and. You're flying, did I say driving? Driving down. I drove through Mexico. It was a long trip. It was nice. And, uh, and so I, I flew down and I met Mark at a gas station. I had no idea who he was. And so we went up to his place. I was only going to spend a couple hours. And I think it was like 11 o'clock at night. And I was like, I probably should go to the person that was expecting me to be here. And I got to give you a little more context. Have you ever seen in the movies, you know, when two people, their eyes catch and the movie, the movie goes really to slow motion. Hate, I really hate this story. Slow motion. And, but I don't you know, think this is how it we run across the gas and we, station, and we embrace. Yes. And two bro- like twins separated Brothers. at birth. Um, we awkwardly hugged for a long time. Awkwardly hugged. No, but there, there was a lot of truth <laughs> to that. A little bit of embellishment. But for us, yeah. it was a divine, literally yeah. a divine appointment. And I do feel and um, feel like God connected me to a brother that had been separated at birth. And that's what God's kingdom does when you 
when you're following yeah. after something that God's putting in front of you and you meet somebody else who God is calling to do something, when you meet, you feel like you've always been together. Yeah. Because really, in God's divine plans, you always have been. And it was just that moment of yeah. combustion when we met, and it's been a ride. And it, it, what, was, what was cool about it, I, w- I want you to hear this part of their story because um, I think one of the things that connected is we were both kind of going after the same thing at that time in life. It was, what does this mean to truly follow after Jesus? Not play church, not kind of just do Christian activity, but what does it mean to live and look like Jesus? And so share a little bit about that with your family about from kind of Florida to Pennsylvania to Guatemala. So if you go back all the way to 2000, I don't know, four, five, six, I was on staff at a church. I was an associate pastor and um, we, were, we were leading people to Christ and discipling and you know, we, were, we were involved in a church very similar to the chapel. Um, I grew up in the church from age three, went to Christian school, went to Christian college, went to, you know, right into teaching the Bible and being a pastor and all of that after college. And I intersected with um, a number of different things, but one of them was a personal study on the Gospel of John. Um, I I came to a point where I was like a crisis of, uh, not belief, but a crisis of, man, my life isn't doesn't look like Jesus' life. You know, God, would you break me down and rebuild me? And, and at the time, I was looking for something to teach the couples that I led. And he said, study the Gospel of John. And so as we walked through chapter 1 through chapter 20-something, I don't know how many chapters there are, but the Gospel of John, we end up, I, I, I'm like, man, this guy that I follow, Jesus, I call myself a Christian, my life looks nothing like his. And I'm a pastor. Um, man, he was out there with the, the, the down and outers. He, he was out there serving the poor. He was with people that the religious, who I'm realizing in the story, that was me, the religious, you know, had, were, were calling him a drunkard and a glutton and everything else. And I'm like, man, I want my life to look yeah. like the king. Like, I, want to, I want to look like Jesus. And he called us out to start Deep Stream Ministries. We moved up north from Florida. And as a family, um, at the time, we didn't have crews. He, he's a surprise baby, it, part of the Guatemalan story. But the six of us moved up to Pennsylvania with a mission to make life matter, and, and we tried to position ourselves in a way that we would intersect with as many, as many people in culture kind of outside the walls of church, outside our comfort, outside my, I'm talking about me, my religious bubble, and um, man, that one thing led to the next, led to the next, and we wanted more, and we just wanted this short period of time from birth to death here on, on, on earth to matter for something eternal. And, you know, I had had some stints in business and, and gone through the pool that culture puts on any family where you're in 40 different sports and you're running and you're building your own kingdom business-wise. And I just realized one day this is all going to crumble. What are we doing that's going to outlast us? What are we doing to invest in something bigger? And that's when we intersected yeah. real need in Guatemala. Yeah, and so you guys... You guys were living there, you sold everything, and they, one, of the, one of the cool things about their story is they didn't kind of, you know, some missionaries do this season of deputation where they go around and they try to raise, some call it that, where they raise support, whatever. Mark and Juno were like, God's called us there, he'll, surprise, he'll support us, and he's given us some funds, and so you guys kind of lived off what you had, had some people come alongside you, and, and you really just showed up kind of by, not kind of by faith, by faith, 
in Guatemala trusting God. I think you had a donate button on your blog, right? That was how you were funded. And uh, so they're living in Guatemala. We'd met, you guys were working on language and uh, you, um, I remember remember one of the first times we we drove out to Buena Vista where they now live and work and God God was working on you. And so share a little bit. So you, you moved to Guatemala and God gives you a vision for ministry. What was that process like? What, what happened to get you there? Right. So, so Ryan, you mentioned um, we just went. You know, Our first interaction with Guatemala was February of 2009. We went down to visit some friends who were serving um, down there, and it was kind of a missions vacation. Um, but we wanted to expose our children to third-world poverty. Um, to act- and we wanted to expose ourselves. I had never walked in a country like Guatemala. Um, and so we go down there to visit February. We were so struck and so, so touched. We came home and put a for sale by owner sign in our yard in March and purged. And we get there in August of 2009, so about a six-month process. And um, we start learning the language, but one of our first things that we really felt like we needed to do was to learn the culture. Like learn, we just uh, met people. We would go out as a family and walk around the village of Buena Vista we would fumble through the language. The people were so gracious to us. You know, we knew no Spanish when we, when we showed up. And so whatever we would learn Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we would go out to the village in the afternoon and on the weekends and get ourselves in a lot of trouble, yeah. uh, you know, backed in a corner because we didn't know how to finish a conversation. But the more people noticed that we were in town, God started to put together a vision really because people started knocking on our doors. Um, and, you know, you'd have a mother who would show up with a baby who was malnourished and, and couldn't breathe, collapsed lung, that had started as a common cold. But because of resources, not having the ability to, to buy medicine, um, they hold off, hold off, hold off, and the baby's on the brink of death. What do you do? Like, what would any of you do? You, you react. Yeah. You know, you get in the car and you drive that baby to the hospital, and next thing you know, you're walking along a family and wellness, but then you start asking questions, how did the baby ever get to that point in the first place? And you start to become proactive. And the same thing happened with educational needs and things. And so God, for us, as we learned the culture, it was about a year and a half, two-year process where the two big things that he just felt, we felt he was saying, if you want to reform this little pocket of, of, of Guatemala, you know, tackle education and tackle health. All, we're going we're gonna to get to it, but all with uh, a gospel foundation. Everything yeah. we do is we want them yeah. to know Jesus. Well, I mean, what's crazy about that, I, I remember driving with them out in, the, out in the community, and we drove into the, like, right when you drive into Buena Vista, and I said, so we were talking about what maybe the future might be, and they said, maybe up here, like on this hillside when you come in, maybe, maybe God could have us do something with education or something like that. And so that was the dream, this something like that. Watch this video. Um, It'll give you a little snapshot into what they're currently doing and what that little dream of, and it was actually the exact location when you said that to what you're about to see. Roll Roll the video. When we first visited the village of Buena Vista in 2009, we were struck by the different levels of poverty and the overwhelming need, physical and spiritual. Due to lack of education and the lack of basic resources, generations have come and gone with very little hope of change. The more we engage the community, we learn that there is a generation of young people who are dreaming of change. 
a generation that's full of hope and bursting with potential to lead Buena Vista into a brighter future. A group of young people who are done accepting the cycles of poverty that have prevailed for decades. In 2011, God birthed the vision for DeepStream's educational center here in Buena Vista, a place where the next generation of leaders could be trained and educated. Not only a reshaping of the mind, but a complete reshaping of life, spiritually, physically, mentally, and socially. The doors were open in 2012, and what God has done since has been incredible to witness. Every day on site, we have approximately 170 students from preschool to high school who are being educated and shown a different way of life. With the gospel as the primary foundation, students and staff at DeepStream are being trained to lead Buena Vista into a new tomorrow. Through classroom teaching, daily activities, Bible studies, and other interactions, we have seen many lives changed and futures completely reshaped. And along the way, God has graciously continued to open doors of opportunity for this entire generation. Would you pray with us and consider partnering with us as we seek to restore Buena Vista through the gospel of Jesus? We believe that the best is yet to come as lives are changed and as this new generation begins to live life with a renewed purpose and vision. We are trusting God to raise up husbands and wives, parents, professionals, and leaders who will think differently, live differently, and ultimately lead this village into a completely different future. So, so that's kind of the big idea of what they do. And being a hero maker is really, it's really at the center of everything that you guys do there. Mark cries all the time. Why are you crying, dude? <laughs> it's good to watch. Uh, that's, anyway. Uh, so, you know, being a hero maker is really at the center, you know, setting others up so that they can achieve and they can have. And, and so... Um, you know, God has birthed kind of that, that vision for you in the community. And so maybe share a little bit about how you do that. And I, before you do, I just want to, you know, one, one of the things that struck me and, and has over the years is when we first went down, and, and Deb, you remember, I mean, we would <clears throat> we'd get an email and the kid that was, that I was like playing with like a week ago, you know, I get an email that he died. And the baby that I'd held on the trip that I'd, and at that time I was going back and forth a lot, had, had died. And so this isn't like, oh, these, these people that don't have, I mean, this was, it was life and death in Buena Vista. I mean, there, there was, it was malnutrition at the worst level. I mean, there's, there's AIDS, there's children victimized and abused perpetually. I mean, it, it was, it is rampant, you know, kind of depravity and brokenness and what, what's changed, and as you see the video, what, what makes it emotional is I don't get any emails about babies dying, and not that they don't, but legitimately this community has been fully transformed, um, and not fully, I shouldn't say, has, has had been resourced and given an opportunity that's it never would have had without Mark and Gina answering this call and God using them this way. So, so talk about kind of the underpinnings of the, the hero maker, the setting others up to achieve, changing the systematic, you know, poverty and, and injustice that's been going on there for years. So 
a joke that goes back years is the first time I met Ryan. Um, do you remember the joke I'm I about to say? What is it? What is it? Come on. You're an advocate. You're I'm an advocate. Yeah, he's not a missionary. I'm not Mark's, a missionary. Mark's too cool for missionaries. <laughs> he's an advocate. And so I always would make fun of him that he would say, I'm an Sorry. advocate. Sorry. It yeah. was part of my journey that, you know, I wanted to get rid of the term missionary. I wanted to get rid of the term missions trips because we're supposed to all live on 24-7. It's supposed to be who we are. And so the, the idea advocate, he still you know, jokes around with me about it. But the definition of an advocate is a person who pleads the cause of another, or it's, it's a voice for somebody who, who can't be a voice for themselves. When you intersect with Buena Vista, um, especially going back nine years ago, you know, some of the, the examples that Ryan just mentioned, um, a baby has no voice. And a, a mother who, it's her first baby, who had no mother or grandmother or systems to teach her how to be a young mother, has no voice for herself. So who steps in? You know, my wife. Um, in the name of Jesus steps in. Jesus shows up in the form of literally formula for a baby, and that baby ends up becoming... The reason why I get emotional, Ryan, is because as I see the 170 children that are in our school from age, you know, preschool up through high school, the little kids that were sitting in that room, the, the preschool and elementary school that we run today started based on our malnourished children. So when I watch those videos, the kids that look like just normal healthy kids to you guys yeah. are kids that we literally held and embraced as skeleton babies yeah. that are alive and thriving today. And so it's very emotional in a very positive way because I see all these smiles in the midst of, um, I read a book once, uh, read, not wrote, I read a book called True Religion, and the name of the, the, the sub kind of script is bringing places of heaven, or pieces of heaven to places of hell on earth. Buena Vista, um, for all intents and purposes, was a very, and to this day, there's still a, an immense amount of darkness. But those of you from the chapel who've been to Centro Educativo Deepstream, which is Deepstream's educational center, can attest to the fact that in the middle of that darkness, there's a very bright light that shines. And it's the center, and it's to God be the glory, not to anybody else, it's to God be the glory, but there's this light that shines, and there's this peace that exists, and a hope that's growing, and I see it on those, the smiling faces, because for the first time in that village, there's a generation of kids that are going to be adults who can read, okay? And there might be some of you who say, okay, great, they can, they can physically read, they're going to graduate with a high school degree, and maybe they're going to go on to college, but how does any of that matter for eternity? Because they're the first generation in Buena Vista who can read the Bible. Yeah. Let that sink in for a second. They're the yeah. first generation that a mom and a dad, you know, we're, we're seeing our first graduating class from five years ago that are starting to marry and have their own children. They're the first generation of parents who can actually open God's word around a, a small little dinner yeah. table. They're the first generation of parents that when we send homework home can actually sit down and solve a math problem with their child. And so this wave that's building is an exponential wave that's going to crash on the shores of Buena Vista for, for, for God's glory. And there's eternal things happening that um, are unimaginable at this point. And so the whole hero maker idea is we're, we're just trying to, through the gospel, through education, build a bridge that these kids can walk across to a brighter future. Yeah. Um, they can realize and understand who the real hero of the story is, which is Jesus Christ, who set us all up mm -hmm. 
set me up as an individual to be able to, to go to Buena Vista, set me up with a connection to Ryan and the chapel and other people who can help resource something that God's doing, making heroes, 170 of which come to our door every day. And the staff that you saw are in another just incredible mission field of people who are being given their first opportunities of real employment, real work, they're professionals who are gifted, talented people that also just needed somebody to, yeah. to give them that push forward and the encouragement to do something. And what's, what's been really neat to see in my watching kind of from a, a distance and being a part of to the, this whole development is, is the work of the gospel was kind of rough waters early. Um, people weren't very responsive and they kind of didn't know your angle. Are you, you know, there, and there's a lot of syncretism in Guatemala. And so kind of a mixing of Mayan, Catholic, like super legalistic Christianity. And so there's this kind of weird, weird Christian thing there. And so as you guys began to do this and you were two years, three years, four years, five years, all of a sudden about five years ago, we began to see you know, 10 kids get baptized. And all of a sudden we, we saw this wave of, of energy and motion because they'd been watching people be Christian. They'd been watching people follow Jesus. And there became this response, and that was Mark, Gina, the staff, and some others as they came to Christ and as they gave grace and loved and, you know, people came to Christ and you had to deal with some stuff they were still doing and I mean all of this and and so now today you just kind of see this consistent gospel engine that runs and and many 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 you just baptized what like five kids five guys last week so Mark anything else you want to say to these guys uh while you're here with us we're grateful I wanted to say you know one of the things I just heard a pastor last week a friend of mine say that we need to as the church we need to invite people into a better story and we need to show them a better story, yeah. one that's, a, that's appealing. It's not easy. It's not an easy story to live, but it's a better story. Um, so anyways, man, that's what we're just trying to do. And I, I just want to, again, you guys are amazing. You really, um, it's a pleasure to be here and to see it firsthand. But we knew the chapel through the people who've come down for five years or four years yeah. running or whatever. We've, had, we've hosted many teams. And I don't say this. You guys are like our church. You know, we don't, we don't get this in our culture down there. We don't get to come and do something like this. We don't get to worship. But the chapel, we feel like we are part of you. We feel like we're an extension of you. Um, we're doing our best to represent you the way that God would want us to represent you. But I will tell you that the people that you've sent to us have represented you guys and represented the God you serve in an amazing way. Um, we knew the chapel was an incredible place because of the incredible people who've come and visited us. So thank you. Um, keep walking beside us. Keep, keep praying for us because God is, is up to some awesome stuff down in Buena Vista. And Ryan, thank you. Yeah, I love you, man. I love you too, bro. Let's, let's pray. Yeah, let's thank him. Let's, let's pray for them. And uh, as they continue to look to the future, God's always doing new things and, and leading them. They've got some really cool stuff coming ahead. And so if you will, let's bow together. Pray for Mark and his family and the ministry. Father, thank you so much for Mark. We thank you for um, or just who he is and what you've done in his heart and life. And we thank you for the faith you've given him and the strength you've given him to, to go hard and to chase after things way bigger than him. 
And thank you for his family. And thank you how they've done that together and modeled that well. And Lord, we pray for the days ahead, for Deep Stream, for Educate BV, God, that you would, you would ex- exponentially, Lord, continue to work in that community, break down walls, break down barriers. Lord, might your gospel move forward. And Lord, in, in the harvest, in those classrooms, Lord, are, are the future pastors and teachers and, and, and just the foundations of that community in, in Guatemala. And Lord, we pray that that, that resounding voice of yours would, would spring up through them and great and mighty things would be done in the next 25 to 50 years because of the work there. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for the Schmitz. And Lord, we pray that your anointing would rest on them. Use them and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank him one more time. I hope, you know, I hope, you know, inspiration isn't everything, um, but it is something. And I hope today you are in some ways inspired by what they've gone after. And uh, so, uh, if you will, let's look back at Matthew 6.33. And uh, I've got about 15 minutes to go after 30. Let's go. Okay. Uh, I think you'd prepare for this. So, um, we, we read in the text, Matthew 6.33, but seek first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. I believe in this text, and maybe if you've been around Christianity uh, for a while, you might have heard this verse. It's kind of a commonly quoted verse of Jesus. And now the context of this is a Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is basically saying this over and over again. You've heard it said this. You think that Christianity is this. You think that following God is this. You think that the faith is this, but I tell you, it's actually this. And when he gets done with the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount, everyone goes, this is profound. Never heard anything like this. This is a very, very different teaching than what we've heard. Now, I don't know if you've, amen, if you believe, I believe that we need to think differently. Amen? Anybody with me? Like, we need to think differently. And I believe that one of the things about spiritual growth, spiritual transformation, sanctification, is that God is constantly shifting our head and how we think. And I, you call this a paradigm shift. I used to think like this, and now I think like this. And so in this, this seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. There's a, there's a paradigm shift. There's a shift in how we think that Jesus wants us to have in this text. And so Jesus, right, this simply, this this simple verse, so so Jesus simply profound. So he first says, seek first the kingdom of God. But seek first the kingdom of God. This is the personal rule and reign. So when you you see kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, it's all over the writings of Jesus. It's all over the the gospels and and the recorded books. the recorded work of Jesus' ministry here on earth. And, and in this, we, we see him say like 110 times, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. And there's really no distinction between either. One, at times, is speaking of an eternal existence, but, but it's also speaking of a, of a reality, of a rule and reign right here, right now, today. And so the, the kingdom of God, so there, there's this idea of personal rule and reign. And now, I don't know if you know this. You've heard me say this, I think, before. Everyone is ruled, right? Everyone is ruled in this room. Like, you have the ability, right, either to come under your own reign and rule or someone else's reign and rule. If you work and have a boss, there are times when you come under their reign and rule. All the staff at North Canton Chapel said amen, right? Like, I'm the boss up in here. And so... uh, Right? There's reign and rule, right? And there's people that reign and rule well. 
there's people that reign and rule poorly. If you are a child in this room, you are under the reign and rule of your parents. And all the parents said, amen, right? You do what I tell you to do. And so then there's reign and rule. And when you go out from underneath that reign and rule, right? My, 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 my mom, I, I have no idea how her shoulder still actually works because we would fight in the car and she would turn around and she could slap you, right? Just like without even looking backwards, right? And so what, what was it? She reigned and ruled over our lives. And when we were breaking the rules of the car, she would turn around in that station wagon and she would slap us around and she would say, stop it. And she'd usually slap our legs because she was really nice. And then she would cry if she hit us too hard because she felt bad and we would be like, it didn't even hurt. And so anyway, uh, and so, and so the, but there's rule and reign. Everybody with me on this? We have rule and reign. And I'm telling you, this is the paradigm shifts of paradigm shifts. If you are a follower of Jesus, have you come underneath the reign and rule of Jesus? Meaning what he says goes. Have you ever agonized like Mark Schmidt did and said, does my life match the life of Jesus? Am I increasingly becoming like him? Share this. I met with a guy a few weeks ago and he said, I said, what do you think the number one issue in the church is today? He said, I think the number one issue is, is that no one truly believes that they can look like Jesus. So no one actually goes after that. So his compassion, his kindness, his grace, it's just out of our reach. And so we'll sort of be nice, sort of live a kind life, be generous to the best of our ability and hope it all works out in the end. That's not a great aim. Eh? I just said, hey, I, don't, I became can- Canadian. Um, and so that was weird. And so, but seek first the kingdom of God, the, the personal reign and rule of Jesus the eternal reign and rule, knowing that, that today, if I've believed in him, this isn't just a today thing. This is a forever thing. And so I just want forever to be a greater reality today in my life because one day I'm gonna stand in his presence. One day I'm going to worship him forever. And so I'm going to do that right now, increasingly until I see him face to face. And it is letting his kingdom ways, his ways are now my ways to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with our God, Micah 6, 8, to be like him. See, this is much bigger than you and me. We are all players underneath the reign and rule and authority of our great God. Second, we see is, so seek first his kingdom, right? Simply profound. Seek first his righteousness. Now, notice in this, there's two seek first. That means that there's other things that we seek. So, right, simply profound. Do you, do we, seek first Jesus, his kingdom, his righteousness, or are there other things that get in the way of that? Now, I feel like I would be kind of like belittling our intelligence to even walk through that, because you know what those first things are for you. The things that you put in priority over God. That might be really good things, like your marriage, your children, your work, money, right? These are simple things. Or maybe very, very bad things that have become strongholds and idols in your life that you chase after, the things that you think on regularly. But here, Jesus says, but hey, all this other stuff, seek first my kingdom 
seek first my righteousness, his righteousness, right? So righteousness might be seen in these ways. There's three ways. There's imparted righteousness. This is a righteousness that, that I do not, that, that this imparted righteousness, meaning that there's a righteousness that I cannot attain. I cannot make myself right with God. But through repentance and faith and of, of trusting in Jesus, he paid the penalty for my sin. And so because he has done this, seek first his righteousness, is, is glorying, worshiping, saying, Jesus, thank you so much for taking death, hell, and the grave for me because now I do not have to. And now in my life, I'm recognizing that I've reserved. So when I seek first his righteousness, I am constantly remembering that I have been put in placement with God in a way that I could not myself. Anyone with me today? Amen. Second, there's progressive righteousness, right? That he is, he is, he is in my life making me, he's changing me increasingly in my life to, to live an increasing right, increasingly righteously and holy in the day-to-day of my life. So progressive, this is, this is the power, right? The power of sin no longer has to grip my life. But now I can be increasingly freed from the power of sin that holds me and chains me and shackles me down. And then, then the third way of righteousness is the future righteousness. That one day, one day I will be free from ever from the presence of sin and I will be in the presence of Jesus no longer entangled by the things that bind us on earth. No more worrying about me no more confessing of sin, no more struggle, no more trial, no more sin, no more death, no more, no more babies with, with, with ribs showing, no more, no more over the presence of sin, the presence of brokenness is gone. So we receive from God and are empowered by God, not, right? So we receive from God and are empowered by God. And so when he says, seek first my righteousness, it's imparted, it's a progressive, it's future, it's a righteousness that he is giving me. And so I'm glorying in that, like putting its weight in my life. And so again, we receive from God and are empowered by God, not I do for God so that I can receive from God and I'm empowered by my own strength. And I think sometimes this is this paradigm shift, right? We, we think I do for God so that I can receive from God and then I'm empowered by my own strength to achieve for God. And that's backwards. That's not how it works. It works like this. I receive from God and I'm empowered by God. And the beauty of that is that is all for his glory and not for mine. The second, right? I do for God so that I can receive from God and I'm empowered by my own strength. That is being the hero of your own story. The hero maker, right, is one who's realized that he has been made into something he could not make himself. We receive from God and empowered by God. This is for his glory, all praise and glory to him, none to me. Third, last in this text, right, simply profound, trust completely in his provision. Trust completely in his provision. And all these things will be added to you. Now, prior to this, in the text, he's talked about the birds of the air, the flowers of the field, all of these kind of natural things. As you look on them, let them be your school teachers, let them teach you something, that if God cares for that, which is not the object of his affection, which was not created in his own image, which we are, he says, if he cares for that, how much more will he care for us? 
And so this kind of conclusion is, trust completely in me and all these things will be added to you. So when you get in the arena, when you go after me, when you seek first my kingdom, when you seek my righteousness, when you go after me, you can completely trust in my provision because I am with you, I am by you, I will not let you go. And this is what we call living by faith. Hebrews defines it, the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not yet seen. This is trusting in God to be our provider. So it's living by faith, not by fear. Fear can mean, it can mean, right, profound reverence and awe, which we talk about living in the fear of God. But in the negative way, what fear means is practically it means profound questioning, stress, concern, lack of trust in the desired outcome, um, desired situation, loss of hopefulness, no longer believing. And so trust completely in his provision of saying, live by faith, trusting that God's hand can move in your life for his purposes. We can and must live by faith. God will come through. He will come through in his time and he can be trusted in life and in all circumstances. So Jesus simply profound, seek first the kingdom, seek first my righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Again, we can and must live by faith. And so the commitments, right, of a kingdom builder, the commitments of a kingdom builder, and we're just gonna run through these quick. The commitments of a a kingdom builder are first, I will choose long-term success. This is multiplication thinking that that I am going to choose long-term success. And so in multiplication thinking, I'm gonna let time and numbers play out and I'm going to go after life God's way. Now, for some of you, that may feel a little bit inefficient, may not happen as rapid as you want, but I'm telling you, the long-term success of going after things God's way is far better than the short-term success at going at it our own way. And when you go at it your own way, guess what's going to happen? You are going to be massively frustrated, and you won't bring much glory to God. I will choose long-term success. Second, I will speak words of affirmation into others, permission giving. I will speak words of affirmation into others, meaning that I am going to open my eyes and see others around me and speak life into them, tell them of their, that there's possibilities of you in the kingdom. This is things that we hopefully innately do with our children. As we, we see them, we say, man, Kinsley, I believe that you can be this, and I believe you can do that, and I believe you can go after this. But seeing outside of our own bloodlines and, and seeing our friends and our neighbors and people in our lives and saying, I see in you that, that I want to speak words of affirmation, words of encouragement to see the kingdom of God grow. And a lot of people, and I believe a lot of us in this room, we tend to see ourselves super negative. We don't, we don't tend to see our gifts and our skills. We, send, we tend to see our faults and our downfalls. And we desperately need people around us to speak words of encouragement. You know that the Bible commands it. It tells us to encourage one another. And speaking words of life, right? Words of, words of, <laughs> words of discouragement tend to be words we hear more than anything else. What if, what if at the North Canton Chapel we just spoke words of encouragement? Wouldn't that be a great thing to be known for as a church? And so speaking words of life, words of inspiration. The third thing that we see in the text, or third thing that we see in commitments of being a kingdom builder is I will give away what I've been given. 
This is disciple multiplying, knowing that, that every truth that I've been given, every Bible text I've ever learned is, has been entrusted to me and I bear responsibility with that. I'm not here just to eat seed, but I'm here to take seed and sow it into soil. Does, I don't know if you've ever farmed, but do farmers, I, I've been around farming a little bit, I don't think this is how it works. Do, do farmers try to bring the soil to the seed? Right, that's called a greenhouse, no. That's not how farming kind of works. You take the seed to the soil. And I think, just poke paradigm shift, we've kind of gotten this wrong, haven't we? We're always asking the seed to come to the soil. And the soil, right, the seed needs to go to the soil. So when we receive truth, what do we do? We go and we plant it. We give it away. Right? I will give away what I've been given. Fourth, I will hold on to others loosely. This is gift activating, knowing that those in my life are not mine, they're God's. That can be your children, that can be your grandchildren, that can be a friend, that can be a relationship, that can be someone who's become very close to you, who's very useful to you, but believing in others and letting loose of them and knowing that everything is God's and I'm here to be helpful with that. And so then the fifth, kingdom building. I will be a kingdom builder. It's a simple commitment in life and saying, if I'm going to go after one thing, what I'm going to go after is being a kingdom builder, is that I'm going to give my life to build the kingdom of God. So the simple commitment this morning is this. I will seek first the kingdom and the righteousness of Jesus and live trusting in God rather than living in fear. Again, simple commitment. I will seek first the kingdom and the righteousness of Jesus and live Trusting in God rather than living in fear. So the hero-making point of today is giving my life to, see, to, to seeing the long-term fulfillment of God's great mission multiplied through my investment in others. I believe, and this may sound like a weird thing to believe in, you do too, I believe in momentum. So momentum works like this. There was a Browns game on last Thursday night. And in that Browns game, things were looking very bleak. Like at one time, the passing completions were bleak. And I was feeling very down for you. And, uh, <laughs> and then Baker Mayfield came in. And momentum began to shift. He dropped back for a pass. And I remember this if you watch the game, and he threw a dart across the field. Lights have not been seen in ages <laughs> at First Energy Stadium. And everyone went, oh, we, we might have a quarterback, right? There was this minute, like, out of the 20, there might be one. And momentum shifted. And that whole game, as you watched it, there was a shift. There was a change in the stadium there was a change in the environment. There was a change that, that just happened. And we see it all the time happen. I, I believe momentum is a thing that we experience in the faith. I believe momentum is something we experience in the faith. I, I believe that there is a growing and resounding roar that is far bigger than First Energy Stadium. I believe there's a roar in heaven celebrating, pushing, applauding, of those that have gone before saying, move forward, take the kingdom of God forward. There's nothing else that matters more than this. 
And those that engage in it, there's this roar in heaven, applauding, convicting, pushing, moving us forward, saying, keep on pushing, keep on moving, keep on expanding, keep on trusting, keep on creating, keep on listening, keep on believing, never stop trusting, never stop telling, never stop maximizing, maximizing all I have for you, all of my purposes, keep on seeking my kingdom. Keep on seeing my righteousness that is yours. Keep on seeking a righteous way on earth. Keep on living by faith. Never stop. Don't quit. And there's momentum when we begin to see that we as the citizens of the kingdom of heaven are are part of something far bigger than ourselves. That God is calling us to be hero makers, disciple makers, kingdom builders, to go after his great purpose. And I believe there's an applause from heaven from the heroes before us saying, keep on. And might we no longer live for these puny games of being the hero of our own stories or being the critics of those that are trying to go after something with their life and saying how they've gone after it wrong. Might we no longer live these puny games and might we give the rest of our lives to being hero makers, setting others up to achieve and be all that God has made them to be. I believe that God wants his children to be activated, to be used for the fullness of everything that he's given. And I believe that God is calling each and every person in this room to be a hero maker, to extend and give their lives, to set others up, to fully be all that God has made them to be. So the invitation today is this, to come to these altars, And simply say to God, I will be a hero maker. You may not know what that means. You may not know what that looks like. But it's simply saying, God, I am in. And I want to be a part of the momentum. I want to be a part of the resounding roar. I want to be a part of the bigger thing. I want to be the game changer in this. And I believe that God can use you to do that. Let's pray. Father. We love you. We thank you for today. Lord, we believe. We believe that you sent your son, Jesus. We believe that he died. We believe that he was crucified, that he took death, hell, sin, and judgment for us. We believe that he rose from the grave. Jesus, we believe that today you sit on high and you reign and rule. And God, we believe that your kingdom rules and reigns. And you've invited us not only to be citizens, but to be your workers and to live in obedience to your kingdom ways today. And so Lord, might, might your kingdom be multiplied in, way, in any way that it can be through our lives. So right here today, Lord, would you move whoever you'd have to make the commitment to be a hero maker. Lord, for the person who's never trusted in you, give them the ability to repent of their sins and turn in faith. And maybe even in that instance today, just commit their life to being a hero maker, looking toward the end of what you want them to be. And those who have trusted in you for years, help them to commit, to recommit, to living out your ways in this world and being a part of the great momentum of your story in this world. Jesus, we love you. Help us to respond well as we sing, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.